Welcome, Foul Tarnished. You are listening to episode 21 of Elden Kings and Elden Ring Discussion. This is Gideon the Half-Knowing, coming to you uh, with Ember Plays, a uh, YouTuber that does a lot of content about Elden Ring and uh, the other Souls games in particular, especially tier lists and, uh, you know, other ranking systems between areas, games, even uh, enemies, I believe. So uh, welcome to the roundtable, Hold Ember. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. That was an amazing intro. <laughs> well, I like to, you know, give some background on my guests so everyone yeah, it can... was great. <laughs> Thank you. Is there anything you'd like to uh, elaborate on considering concerning your channel and uh, what kind of content you create? <clears throat> um, really, the way I look at it is I try to make the videos that I wanted to watch before I started YouTube. And that's kind of how everything started. Um, obviously, there's a clear inspiration from uh, the democracy, as everyone knows, is the boss ranking guy. But I remember always being sad that he wouldn't do more, uh, more creative types of lists about the Souls games, and I decided I would be the one to do it. So <laughs> that's kind of where that came from, and... Um, yeah, that's that's kind of how I come up with ideas. I really don't do a ton of research. I just kind of do whatever sounds like it would be fun for me to watch. Like if if I saw it in my feed, would I click on it or not? That's pretty much all. You make the content you'd want to see and fill the niche that like wasn't exactly there until you got to you know really the like honing in on exactly what you liked content wise. I can I like that. Yeah, that I mean it was like. Yeah, the, the Soul series is interesting because a lot of the, the content around it is very serious. And I think I get all kinds of comments on my stuff. But I, I'm just, I'm not that serious of a person. So I like just making like fun lists and just really whatever I feel like. And some people don't appreciate that. Um, but for me, that no one else was doing it and it sounded... I, it's just something I had always wanted to watch, and I thought it would be so cool if someone had done that, and so I figured I'd be the one to do it. Yeah, I can definitely see how that would be both an enjoyable thing to do, and uh, could turn out the way it has, where, like, you know, you're sitting at, you know, you're pretty popular on YouTube at this point. Um, would you like to, what kind of videos did you start with? Like, you know, you're watching the democracy, and you're looking at these tier lists, so what was it that was sort of like, you know, bucking the trend content-wise that you started out with, if you remember? That I, w that I made? Yes, yes, yeah. Uh, what did you make? Um, so I did, um, the first, it's funny, a lot of people say like, you know, oh, it wasn't just one video, it was slow. Like, no, mine was 100% one video, and it was the best feature in each Souls game. Um... Which is funny because I, I got the idea, I saw someone, they did the best feature in every Call of Duty game, which that's a whole separate topic, whole separate niche, or I don't even think they said feature, it was just the best something. And I thought it was an interesting idea to do a ranking of like the best or worst or easiest or hardest of something in each different game. So you're kind of comparing the games as opposed to all the elements in one game, like all the bosses. So, um, yeah, I thought the best feature would be fun. 
Um, I don't think I had gotten more than a hundred views on a single long form video at the time, and I posted that. Um, it got very minimal views as usual for the first day. Um, the second day, I think I woke up and it had 4K views, and I was freaking out. And then by the end of that day, it had a hundred K. And I think right now it's almost it's about 10K away from a million. Um, which is pretty nuts. I had posted a probably 300 shorts and like maybe 10, 20 long form videos before that video blew up, but that was definitely the one. And then it, uh, I think it took a couple other videos with it. And then I just kind of kept going with the series and, um, yeah, I, I got lucky though, having the idea and being able to kind of twist it and apply it to my niche and, and have it work and have it be a series that I could kind of, you know, keep making videos on. It sort of goes to show how, like, an interesting concept for a video, if it gets picked up by the algorithm, can really just, like, help everything else take off along with it. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think it's funny because there were a few videos I had that were older, and I remember th being mad because I thought they were really good. I was like, I did everything right. I, you know, interesting topic, good thumbnail you know good video and then after that one video blew up the other video started blowing up as well and so i was like okay so they just kind of needed to test me out a little bit first before they trusted my channel enough to push it out so i thought that was interesting yeah that is interesting like it's almost like you know you had an audience at that point and it was sort of propelling you to keep sort of pushing what you were making content wise yeah, exactly. So, uh, for your best features video, what kind of features did you choose? I'm sort of interested. That's like a that's a broad term, isn't it? <laughs> I know, and I I honestly don't. It was just the easiest word to use that made it understandable. Because originally it was called the best thing in each Souls game, and then I was like, that that it just sounds terrible. So, oh, what did I do? I. I was still pretty new, so I wasn't really sure what I was doing, but I think for Demon Souls, I think I said um, the best, just basically what it is, is the best thing about each Souls game, essentially. Demon Souls, I think I said the the uh, the world building or something like that, um, just because I really like the, uh, I don't know, it just has a really unique identity, um, even though I only played the remake. Um, Dark Souls was level de level design, of course. Dark Souls 2, I think, was uh, the experimentation with, like, uh, you know, Fragrant Branch of Yore, the Bonfire aesthetic, all that. Um, Dark Souls 3 was the bosses, of course. Bloodborne. What was Bloodborne? I think, it, I think Bloodborne, I just said, like, the levels themselves, because I think it has the most fun areas to traverse and go through. Um, and then I think Elden Ring was like the convenience or, or something about the way they streamlined the experience a little bit. Um, and then Sekiro was uh, the combat. Okay, those are all very, you know, good choices, fitting choices. It's interesting how the choices you make, like the highlights of each game, sort of, sh sort of show an iterative development process where each thing from the previous game get a little bit impl implemented into the next one until you get to that sort of streamlined Elden Ring process. Mm -hmm. I actually thought the same. I thought that was really interesting. 
Yeah, I feel like I've almost been tempted to try like writing a script or an article at some point just to like dive into it. It's so complex how many different uh, features and functions and gameplay modes that they like sort of experiment with in terms of how you approach enemies and levels. I know it's it's crazy, especially how they the speed has ramped up. But yeah, you definitely should. And let me know if you end up doing that. <laughs> I'll definitely do so. Um, so yeah, I uh, I actually have a question for you since like you're into like the tier lists type of things. How do you mm -hmm. feel? Um, you know, you've probably analyzed a good amount of bosses. So how do you feel about the general speed of all of the different uh, bosses speeding up into more of like a combat experience than like a capstone to a level experience like it was in earlier titles. Um, are you talking about like an Elden Ring specifically? Uh, in general, you know, like how Elden Ring is like the fastest of them, but you still have like Dark Souls 3 and Bloodborne, which are sometimes just as fast, and how they sort of act differently in concept to what you see from like, you know, Dark Souls 1 or Demon Souls, for instance. Like, people yeah. say Demon Souls bosses are famously sort of easy because they're coming at them from, you know, experience with Dark Souls 3 or Elden Ring, which really are, like, they have far more complex and difficult boss patterns to memorize. Yeah, that is very true. And I, I honestly, <clears throat> really, I just think they're different because Demon Souls, they're mostly gimmick-ish slash puzzle bosses. Like, they all have one essentially one thing that once you figure it out it's a it's a cake uh, cakewalk like uh the phalanx is you know fire if you use fire you're not gonna have too tough of a time um you know the adjudicator you hit the wound um but as for like dark souls one yeah i'm not i i prefer the speed being ramped up elden ring did it a little too much at times and i don't think it was the speed it was more the extremely aggressive combos that just felt like I was dodging for a long time waiting to just hit them once and I think still I'm pretty sure I've said this before in a video but I think Dark Souls 1 and Bloodborne a little bit did it best with um because their formula at least to me felt like they'd give the bosses a lot of health but they also aren't gonna one-shot you um like so it's it's more of an endurance fight <clears throat> and that really makes you learn the fight but in elden ring it felt more like okay the boss is gonna one-shot you so just don't get hit but you can also kill the boss in like you know 20 seconds if you get lucky or if you get enough hits in at once so i wasn't as big of a fan of that but i do prefer the the speedier the speedier bosses um but i think there's you know there's a different charm to both like dark souls one has some great bosses that are like the the gargoyles i think are they work very well in that game uh despite the whole game being slower they're very slow as well but i think i think it's just different depending on the the style of of the game but obviously i just prefer faster yeah that makes sense to me and i think a lot of people in general prefer the faster combat uh, because they yeah. just like the sort of action-y vibe that the newer games have. I uh, I like to appreciate, like, I like to try, try to appreciate all of it. Like you say with the Gargoyles, I think they're a pretty great example because 
they really highlight how much positioning mattered in those games. And it's like positioning matters in oh, Elden yeah. Ring as well, but like you can sort of just like you can get through it with other means. But like with the gargoyles, if you get trapped with their fire breath, you know, it's over. But like that sort of makes it fun. And it almost makes it feel fast paced just to be like constantly maneuvering through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, I mean I think you just gotta uh take take them both for what they are and obviously they're they're just different, but they're both great. Um, but yeah, my preference is faster, but that's probably more of an instant gratification thing than anything else. And just being, you know, used to how things are now. Absolutely. And like, honestly, it is more exciting. You know, you don't get the same experience from Dark Souls 1 that you get from like dueling Ishin in Sekiro. Like there's a certain high to yeah. getting all of those deflections and dodges and attacks in. I agree, and I, I thought that when I went back to Dark Souls 1, or I, I guess when I played Dark Souls 1 for the first time, because my first Souls game was Dark Souls 3, so you can imagine, I was a bit underwhelmed and also very surprised at how much easier the bosses were in Dark Souls 1, except for Ornstein and Smo. Um, but yeah, because you, you'll get a, a bit of a rush from Dark Souls 1, some of those fights, but it's still, it feels... It, it's not the same to me, but I'm also very biased just because of the order and how late I got into the series. So, you know, that's how it is. I mean, subjectivity and those different perspectives are what make it like interesting to discuss things within the community. It's like, you know, they're all arguably the best game in the series, depending on your outlook on what you want from a gameplay experience. So, like, it's nice to see people that just like put their opinions out there, in my opinion. Yeah, um, you're... That's probably rare. I feel like most people don't appreciate that, but no, I think a lot of people do. And there's a lot of people like me that started later and will, you know, insist people are blinded by nostalgia. And then the people that, you know, are uh, trying to convince everyone that they like the older games more, saying like the new ones are fast. You don't even have to think. It's a button mashing simulator. Like it's just funny to see both points. But yeah, what what's your preference? What's your favorite game, actually? Um, so my favorite game is Sekiro because I I I do ultimately agree with you in the sense that I really like how they've improved their combat system. Like I don't think that Dark Souls One is bad, but I think that given the chance to really define their combat in the way that Elden Ring has. Uh, does with like its very fast and weighty brawling combat i think that's something they always sort of wanted to achieve uh mm -hmm. they just couldn't because of current technical limitations um yeah i uh it's funny so i have gone through a lot of different like opinions on this series like i started with it when i was 14 with dark souls 2 so obviously like okay you know i've been with it for a while and uh like I was definitely more moody as a teenager. Like when Dark Souls 3 came out, I was definitely one of those people that like sometimes uh, trended towards the extreme and saying that it was frustratingly mind numbing because like <laughs> a lot of it was just role spam and like bosses yeah. would be predictable just because you knew how to fight any boss. Like in a way, Dark Souls 3 suffered from the same lack of distinguishing features in boss gameplay that Dark Souls 2 did with its like repeated giant armored warrior bosses. But mm -hmm. with Dark Souls 3 failing, it was that 
Uh, every tell had around the same timing. So as long as you got used to the unique tells of a boss, which sometimes based if you had experience with the series, you could sort of just do it easily. Um, yeah. They weren't always like intense gameplay challenges. Uh, I, I could go on into how that, in my opinion, that transcends a little into Elden Ring if you're interested. But if you want to talk about Dark Souls 3, I'm totally open to that as well. No, no, please. I think that that's a really good point, though. Um, but yeah, no, continue. Okay, so personally, what I think has been happening with like the Soul series as a whole is that they've been trying to develop dodges to be fair and balanced, but also mm-hmm. to incentivize using other gameplay features. So at first with like Dark Souls 1, they had this system of rolling, which most people will gravitate towards. But what people don't always realize is that poise tanking is op as shit like if you get a semi-powerful <laughs> weapon a huge vitality bar and like the giant's armor or the havel armor you don't have to roll you just have to press r1 repeatedly if you use a bow it's even easier like it's it's a little bit nuts um so they yeah sort of, yeah <laughs> that is so true uh-huh <laughs> but like obviously it's still fun like you can you can interact with it any way you want yeah like, yeah, yeah um but yeah, uh, so Dark Souls 2, it sees that issue. So it tries to sort of change it. It makes armor a little bit less poise tanky. Like you can get stunned a lot more easily in Dark Souls 2. And that trend will be continued with the rest of the series. They really nerfed the fuck out of poise. People were so pissed yeah. about it in DS3. Um, so Dark Souls 2, they had the adaptability. They knew that roles were very powerful. So they wanted to make it like a character building aspect. That like mm-hmm. you could either spec into heavy armor or rolls, but not both. Obviously, that was sort of a bad decision. Adaptability sucks. It's, it's no bueno. It's much better yeah. to base it off of your equip load, which Dark Souls 3 returns to. But what they do is they um they sort of go all in on the dodging mechanic. And I think that's because they're coming from Bloodborne, where dodges were mixed with the parry system. Like you could generally mm-hmm. dodge everything, but you had to be on your toes because there were some attacks that you had to parry or were incentivized to parry. But when yeah. you transition that to Dark Souls 3, it doesn't really transition fully because the parries aren't as powerful unless you're like a god gamer, which most people aren't. But mm-hmm. the rolls are powerful to the point where most people sh- can just get through it. Which, like, yeah. I don't think that makes it vapid or mind-numbing anymore, like I you know, maybe used to say. <laughs> but I, like, I, I replayed it after Elden Ring, and I really do value it as like this action-y dungeon-crawler experience. It's, it's a climactic yeah. finish to the Souls trilogy. Yeah. Um, so I guess getting into Elden Ring, finally, I think that... They wanted dodges to not be as powerful. They wanted the the boss combat to flow in a different pattern than you just dodging during enemy combos and then responding and then dodging and responding. So the mm. AI is sort of like, it's interestingly programmed in a lot of cases, especially with Morgat, Marga, and all of the bosses after Fire Giant, since all of them are like more aggressive and they've got these combos that feed into each other depending on your positioning and if you've damaged them and if you've used your Estus. Like in Dark Souls 3, we saw the beginning of like, essentially like um, healing cycles where you would get hit, you would get up, you'd heal, and then you'd get hit by the same attack, That's which is usually mm-hmm. like a gap closer. And that would just keep happening until you like got wise and attacked them first or rolled the attack and then healed, which is like dangerous. It puts your life on the line, which is like scary. Mm-hmm. 
And I think they really leaned into that in Elden Ring, which is part of why everyone's so annoyed, because it's a lot meaner <laughs> yeah. in its aggression towards putting you into a heal cycle, because it wants to incentivize you to, like, play on the line. You know, if you get hit, then you have to, you've got to trade a couple blows while you're, like, within the edge of death, and then you have to heal. And that's part of that incentivizes the high vitality build that everyone has, like, learned mm. about by now and been very upset about in some cases. Yeah. Lucky for me, I'm um I'm just bad, so I level up health always. Um <laughs> But also wait, so I've heard I actually want to ask you this now, because I've heard a bunch of people say Elden Ring, um they what's it called? The input trigger or something where it's like if you heal, it's gonna do this attack or this attack, depending on how far you are. Like things like that is was that actually the case? I never looked into it. Yeah, there is a lot of input reading in Elden Ring. It's especially seen with the Godskin duo, where like both of the classes of warrior will throw the fireballs at you if they detect you using the Estus. Um, mm -hmm. Other cases in it are that like generally bosses will get more aggressive. Like uh, there's like a system where the AI resets to neutral, and I'm not exactly like a developer, so I don't want to speak too hard. Like you know, I don't want to speak in an official manner about this, but it feels yeah. like that the method in which they reset to neutral depends on the player action insofar as if did the player roll did they estus or did uh well you know like crimson flask i suppose not estus but or did mm. they attack the boss and depending on that the boss will like do a jump away move or a right gap closer or they'll just stay in neutral for a bit um the thing is like a lot of elden ring bosses will read your heals but if you're like if you're tactical about it, you can just sprint backwards a little bit, and if they do an attack, you roll it and then you heal, or if they don't do an attack, you just yeah. heal. Um, That's what I learned. Exactly. Like, there's ways, to, there's methods to get around it, and I think most importantly, the input reading has been in these games since Dark Souls 1 and Demon Souls. Um, Gwyn famously input reads the shit out of you. Like, if you ask this, he will kick your ass. It makes them sort oh, of a yeah. hard fight if you don't parry. I don't have any other examples off the top of my head, so like you can see how it's rarer in the older games, and it's not as punishing, but it's something that's I guess has been a while around for a while. If that answers your question, yeah. I mean, I was gonna ask because it was just so obviously prevalent in Elden Ring where it wasn't before. Because you know, obviously, I'm like they have to be reading it to some degree. Like in Dark Souls 3, I would find it hard to believe that there was none of that. You know, there, there's definitely some... I feel like healing, though, in the past was the main thing that would would cause an action from the boss, but nothing really else. Elden Ring felt like... It's like they're reading exactly how low your health is and predicting when you're about to heal. Not even when you press the button. They're just, like, guessing when you're going to. And it was crazy, and it felt like like everything was stacked against you, which you know I don't have an issue with, but I think it made it less fun for some of the the main bosses. That's an interesting point, though. I'm glad you went through every game like that for like the roles and everything, because I haven't really I've thought about how that's evolved with the speed and and the rolling, but I haven't thought about it in in terms of how they were trying to improve the the play style of each game and i think that's a really good point because elden ring did i think they balanced the rolls and the jumps and everything pretty well um obviously a big emphasis on weapon arts or ashes of war excuse me but 
Yeah, I, the Ashes of War are really fun, but yeah, there there's a little bit too much too much pushing for that as well as the spirit summons in my opinion and i always get so much flack for saying that but it feels built around both of those and i know you can say yeah just don't use it which now i don't but um it like you know the godskin duo it kind of feels like they're just like okay just use the mimic tier like you know they're just kind of pushing you to use that and if you don't you're severely punished I would I would agree with that. So like and I totally respect like you know like you're totally right. They they make it harder in these areas. Like it's still doable. People have no hit run it. People have done it at level 1, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But uh the fact of the matter is that they totally made these things harder to, you know, like incentivize you to use an entire kit. I think Sekiro is a good example of that in Microcosm, where it's like, yeah, you can go through with only sword and parries, but it's much easier to use combat arts and shinobi tools where appropriate, with many enemies being designed around the specific weapons that you find in their area. Mm -hmm. um, but like you said, like, if people don't like Elden Ring because of how it tries to incentivize you to use spirit ashes or like because of how you use the weapon arts, like I think that's totally valid. It's almost like it's a much more um uh Final Fantasy feeling game, so to say. You've got like a big open mm -hmm. world with random encounters on the overmath and then dungeons you can go in with bosses and much things are just flashier, you know, everything is faster and flashier and I think that's Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. I honestly my my counterpoint to that is just because because I think that, but my only counterpoint is like you know what were they gonna do besides try to do something crazy upping it? You know if they did it just how like I guess I don't want to keep using Dark Souls three as an example, but it's the closest feeling to Elden Ring in my opinion. Um, but you know, if they made the bosses just like that, everyone would be like, oh, it's way too easy. What were they doing? You know, like, so I think they had to do something to push the boundary a little bit. But yeah, I'm never, I'm never not going to praise Sekiro. Like, that game has the least problems of maybe any game I've ever played. Like, the the prosthetic tools are, they're perfect because they're just like little, little additions and not something that's gonna change the whole game you can't really cheese much you can kind of cheese with the umbrella a little bit but not really and it's not easy and it's not very fun so like i think they did the tools perfectly um but they also still give you you know you're supposed to just fight them one-on-one -on -one. but the owl father i i hid under the umbrella like my first playthrough the whole time i hid under the umbrella and it worked but it, it was Still extremely tough, so I think I just made it harder on myself by doing that. Yeah, I think it's sort of interesting because Sekiro is one of those games where you can, you've got the tools to hide under the umbrella and stuff like you say, but in some ways it slows down the fight because having constant yeah. aggression is how you fill up the posture bar. So if you, um, you know, you can if you learn how to like, you know, each most of the fights you can learn how to dominate. Like I'm sure you've heard of like Ong Ball on YouTube or any of like the famous oh, yeah. sort of yeah, like streamers that like showcase that pretty well. Um, I think it's oh, pretty yeah. cool how it you know caters to each experience. Yeah, I watch those too. Like, cause now I do reflection of strength. I I'd consider myself pretty good. Maybe not good, but more just I've fought the bosses so many times I can no hit pretty much any of them except Demon of Hatred, but it's just because I don't like that fight, so I don't really ever do it. But all the other ones, yeah, they're 
they become so easy. I always say Sekiro's the hardest to learn, but the easiest to master, without a doubt. It's definitely the game I'm best at, and it's just because it's so easy. Once you once it clicks, it's really easy to get good. Yeah, absolutely. You have all of the power. You like all of the other games limit some of the tools you have at your disposal, but with Sekiro. The deflection gives you so much defense that you can just keep pushing offense with almost no repercussions if you know how to time the parries and you've got the patterns down. It's really cool. Yeah, it's 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 almost like uh, aggression. With it's it's like your your defense is ag aggression at the same time. If that makes sense, it's like you're continuing to push forward and then they attack and you kind of like you know you just tank it like parry it real quick and then you get right back to it like. It's it's interesting. Yeah, it's almost like uh, it's sort of indicative of like the fighting style that you're supposed to have. You know, you're like flowing water when you redirect an enemy's strength against them. So every mm -hmm. attack they lash out with, you're just turning against them and raising their posture even higher. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And that's what I've been playing Wolong, and that uh, I I really like their their parry system. I think they did it super super well. Um, and so far, I actually like it more than Neo. I don't know if that's a hot take or not, but I huh? I love the combat they had. But I I didn't finish either Neo yet, but so that's why that's I can't fully say that. But that's my opinion as of right now. I mean, I would sort of agree with it. I really liked Neo One, but I think its gameplay was a bit clunky. Like not clunky, but a bit like overly hard. They definitely like are very yeah. intensely punishing devs, like more so than Souls, in my opinion. Um, yeah, do you th do you think um it, like my problem was I don't know if this is right or if I just didn't know what I was doing, but I played Neo 1 and everyone told me Neo 2 is better, so I switched to Neo 2, but I'm like 55 hours in that game. I don't know how far I am, but I've still only beat like maybe like 5 or 6 main bosses and I'm still getting one or two shot by every regular enemy and i'm like is this how it's supposed to be because to me that's not that enjoyable i don't like one mistake ruining my whole life i am right there with you it um i i think any game where like one or two mistake deaths like it gets substantially harder and with neo 2 it feels like they really ramped up the damage and intensity of like the minor oni fight too in my opinion i i don't i didn't i dropped neo too like i couldn't handle that it was it feels like the same people that play Stellaris at like the max difficulty like admiral difficulty are the same ones that praise neo too they are far above my skill level <laughs> yeah that's that's what i think and i've seen like the the end game builds and i'm like you are using so many different things like how did you even like, I don't even know how you can keep track of it. But I, I do love that about Neo. They give you, and Wolong, they just give you so many tools. But it, for someone like me, I'm like, this is too much. Like, I can't, I can't navigate this. I think Wolong did it well where it's like, you can get really in depth if you want to, but you don't have to. Neo felt kind of like you sort of have to. But I could be wrong on that. Um, I want to revisit it because I feel like, I'll be obsessed with it as soon as it... I think it just hasn't quite clicked for me yet. Um, but I'm also a huge fan of Team Ninja, like Ninja Gaiden, Ninja Gaiden. Um, that was my first... Pretty much my first ever, like, video game I was really into. And I started playing it when I was, like, three, four, or five. Um, 
didn't beat it till I was like 12, but I played it like every day. And I was a kid, so I was just terrible. But that at the time was considered like one of the hardest, I believe. Um, so that was that was like my favorite game of all time. And I'll always hold that dear to my heart. Oh, that's nice. I'm glad that you've continued to like the games into like what they're making now. And it's nice that you were able to start with like a game that's like still nostalgic and good in your eyes to this day. Yeah, no, and it was awesome. Like they hit me up. I'm actually still kind of salty. I'm not gonna lie. They <laughs> Team Ninja hit me up to play Wolong early, like oh, maybe almost a year ago now. And I was so, you know, it was like a childhood moment. I was like, no way. Like they're hitting me up. Like this was, you know, my, my Ninja Gaiden was my favorite game ever. And then I responded and was like, yeah, for sure. Like, you know, let me know. And then they never responded. And everyone else was getting the codes. I was like, what happened? So I think maybe I just got lost in there and lost in the system. I don't know. But I was sad. Oh, that is sad. I can imagine, like, how <laughs> exciting that would be to, like, get it, you know, the, the uh, invitation. That's, that's yeah. Rough. It's still, I'm, I'm still just happy they hit me up. Like, that was still a cool enough moment to where... If they weren't gonna send the code, it's it's all good. Like they hit me up, so I'm on their radar, and that was enough of a moment for me to feel accomplished. Yeah, absolutely. Like I I can 100% get that. I think um I do really like Will Long. It's like Neo One was always fun in my eyes because it had a lot of different enemy variety. It had like pretty punishing areas, but they weren't like too intense and um. Mm -hmm. I think the transition to Wolong that really appealed to me is the stamina system, where it's like Neo 1 never really needed the Souls stamina system, is what I realized. Like, it is so much more fun and dynamic to have that sort of harder combat and the parry modes, and just like no stamina to worry about, which I think they, they learned that from Sekiro, not having stamina. Yeah, did. Okay, you may have convinced me to try Neo 1 again, because I didn't play a ton of that. I switched to 2 pretty quickly because everyone was telling me. I, I'm not sure if this is true. But I, the reason I switched is because um, there's a mechanic. I had a friend that played Neo 2, and this his way of convincing me to play that one instead was he said Neo 1 didn't have a couple features that he really liked, and he was explaining them to me, and I was like, oh, those sound way cooler. And I'm not sure what they were now, but I think the key pulse was one of them, which I could be wrong. Is the key pulse thing in, in uh, Neo 1? Uh, yeah, there's, like, the same key pulse that you use to dispel, um, like, the yokai mists, like, the distortion. But yeah. I think they expanded on it in Neo 2. I think the major changes in Neo 2 are that they expanded on the key pulse. They had, like, a quality of life thing where previously your skill points, like, you really had to just build one or two weapons because you'd spread your skill points too thin. Uh... Yeah, and you wouldn't really get the cool abilities, but Neo too, you could you got like universal, not universal, but like different skill points for each tree. Um, and then like the big thing combat wise is that they had the upped difficulty, but I think it was mostly that high because you could get like like the divine spirit you use in Neo One is like good, but it's not like game changing. But in Neo Two, when you turned into a half yokai, you would just like destroy anything that was nearby. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah, hundred percent. But I'd recommend Neo 1. It's got... I think... I just think it's a really fun historical take. Like, I'm not too... Like, I'm not, like, trained or academic in history or anything. So it's mostly just, like, random stuff I retained from school and looked up on, like, whatever articles or Wikipedia for fun. But, like, it is just, like, a fun and 
it's like a cool take on the historical like warring states period and uh i feel the same way about wolong i haven't really played neo 2 but i'm sure that is also a cool take on whatever yeah it's based off of yeah i'll have to i'll, I'll go back to neo 1 then I'll, I'll revisit it unfortunately since starting youtube i've probably played less video games than i have in my life i'm just too busy now but i'm trying to get back to it might start streaming so that way i don't you know i can kind of get back to the gaming and also be you know working at the same time yeah uh, i think that's sort of like a nice sort of combination of it so many people stream this day these days so as long as you have like an audience i feel like it's a pretty decent way of just putting out content consistently and also just having the chance to play a game which is always fun yeah it seems good and you know i always feel guilty when i play a game and i'm not recording it or like you know anything like that but um yeah it's it's tough to stay consistent especially if there's like a new game that comes out it's gonna take me forever to post a video on it because it's like you know i'm not gonna do a review there's too many reviews out there i'm not I, I can do one of me playing but people aren't used to me like in the streaming setting so i don't know if anyone would really care about that um so i'd have to do something like you know about the game and a lot of those are those videos are tough to make unless you've beaten the game and you know it really well, which is why it's been tough for me to cover other games because I have to know it really well and I haven't had that much time to play. So, yeah, I totally understand that. Like, it's, uh, you know, all of the time you spent gaming is now spent on making videos, but now there's no time to spend gaming to really get to know the games that you're making videos on. It's sort of like <laughs> yeah. ironic almost. I know it was like I, I did all the heavy lifting before I started the channel and I knew everything about the Souls games already. And then I was like, oh, this is a lot harder than I thought. But still still working on random videos. I am I did just rank every single boss in the whole series <laughs> in a giant oh. tier list. So that it it almost destroyed my computer. Um unfortunately it doesn't have much I edited the whole thing to cut out like the blank spaces of me thinking and stuff but uh i couldn't add like gameplay or anything because my computer was just wrecked because it was like three hours and i think i cut it down to an hour and a half but that might actually come out tomorrow we'll see the video i posted on thursday is doing really well so i may i may let that one breathe for a bit but we'll see i'm excited to drop this one though yeah, that sounds like an interesting tier list. How many bosses are there across the entire series? Like, it must be like, what, like 300? Uh, that was m the number I had in my head. I genuinely don't know. It took forever. Um, I got really repetitive at the end because I'm like, yeah, pretty fun boss, but nothing crazy. You know, like, it was tough to, to have something new to say after that long because, you know, there's so many that are, they're all great, but... You know, there's so many that are just pretty normal for FromSoft bosses, so the normal categories just filled up. But yeah, I, I put a lot in not applicable, because like Elden Ring, they, they had included all the dungeon bosses and everything, and I was like, well, I killed this in one swing, so I, I don't really know if I can rank this one. So there's there's a bunch, and it was kind of a mess, and it had the Bloodborne Chalice Dungeon ones, which... I only went through the Chalice Dungeons one time, so I don't really remember all those, so it it was a lot, but yeah, I think it's going to be good. Hopefully, 
people enjoy the longer format and uh maybe i'll do more like that because i do i do really enjoy the the sit down and just kind of chat off the top of my head as opposed to writing a script and then doing heavy editing because i think most of my videos kind of revolve around just the editing because you know it's just it's just a voiceover and then i gotta edit it and get all the gameplay and do all that stuff to make it entertaining so i kind of prefer just sitting down and just chatting and saying the thoughts off the top of my head yeah i think there's something to be said about both models of video where like getting into a script like you're sort of expected to refine your thoughts, I feel like. And like in doing in just writing and editing it, I feel like you are just going to naturally like keep whittling down what you have. But then sometimes yeah. it's almost preferable to get like the raw concept of what the person is thinking about, just edited down to keep out like gaps in like the thinking, I guess. Yeah, I think it's it's a funny thing because someone someone commented they were like, um, I prefer your your other style more. And I was saying, well, the tier lists are, you know, it's just off the top of my head. And they were like, yeah, but it in the end, it's the same result. Like you're you're giving the same product. This one is just a tier list as opposed to you making a a fully, you know, like condensed list with the editing and everything. And I didn't really think about it like that. But I was like, I mean, the difference for me is me talking off the top of my head. And then when I'm editing... You know, if I if I disagree with a decision I made in the moment, I can't change it. So I got to just go with it. Um, so that's been interesting to me. Also realizing how tough it is to to speak and have value in every word you say. Because I end up cutting out a lot because I'm just kind of speaking nonsense. But um, I do I do prefer doing that a lot. And I think that's probably the direction I'll go in. Especially because I realize with my videos... Um, a lot of them are less less personable. It's more just centered around the content, which is what I wanted in the beginning. And now I'm like, well, no one really knows anything about me because I'm just scripting everything out. There's no like extra like weird anecdotes or like stories. Like I'm just speaking about the game. So no one really like no one's necessarily coming for Ember. They're coming for, you know, to hear what the hardest area in each Souls game is, you know, so that's a transition I'm slowly trying to make. Yeah, that's a good point with how, like, scripting things out adds a professionalism that sort of, I mean, like, in some cases, depending on how you write the script, can take out some of, like, the personality that some people, like, like YouTubers for, which is interesting just to listen about. Yeah, and I, I would prefer to show more of that. I think that's more fun, and like I said, I, I don't take stuff too seriously, so for me to script something out and have everything exactly perfect it doesn't really fit how i am as much i just did it at the beginning because i was like that's what you're supposed to do and in the beginning no one knows who you are or like really cares as much so it's easier to get away with you know just making a video and people just watch it for the content but i think the more you grow the better it is to to show who you are and your real thoughts and the way you talk and everything like that yeah i i totally get that i'm not exactly you know huge on youtube but i have tried my hand at posting a variety of different things just for fun ever since i started podcasting just to like see like mimic some of the styles i've seen what other people use and it's like i've tried the scripted and unscripted videos 
And partly, I feel like the unscripted videos are just more fun if you come at it with a I want to talk about this vibe, because like, you still have that issue where you're trying to load everything you say with something important, but you can't really mm. do that when you're thinking. Like, humans have a subconscious habit of adding filler words while they think, because like, I feel like there's something uh, linked between talking, even if what you're saying doesn't matter, and the formulation of thoughts to say. Um, yes. But then, like, I think with scripted videos, it sort of depends on the content matter. It's like, how much do you want to, like, seriously present what you're saying as, like, you know, like, there's no, like, seriously objective, quote unquote, takes, especially that, like, subjective media, but, like, setting it up as, like, a reasonable argumentative essay type thing where, like, you really want to hone in your points so that, like, you're not contradicting yourself. But, like, you know, this, I think both videos have, both types of video have so much merit. Yeah. And I, I've, I've kind of put it as like, um, like two, there are two ways. I, I think they both serve different benefits. Like if you're doing the one that's just, it's scripted, it's centered around content. Um, the, the problem with it for me, I realized is I am by no means an expert. I'm just a normal guy that loves the souls games that, you know, has experience with videos and editing and stuff like that. And, so it made it easier for me to make a good video, but I'm not like an expert in the topic or anything. Um, so it's a little worse from when I script things because like I don't necessarily know what I'm talking about. But, you know, in that video style, like you said, is is commanding like, a you know, you're like, OK, I know what I'm talking about. Listen to me because I'm this is written down. I thought about it. Um but I think those videos are where you'll get a lot of views and you can reach a lot of people, but the ones with more personality are the ones where you actually will, will grow a fan base and people will get more, you know, inclined to, to like you as a person. Um, and I think, you know, but you're not going to reach as many people or people might not like you as much if they don't know who you are yet, or they've never seen your channel. Maybe they won't care because, you know, they're like, why would I care who you are? I've never even heard of you. So it's it's a weird balance. And that's kind of why I'm trying to do both. Because I think that'll work. You know, they'll watch one video of me that will reach a lot of people. And then if they care more, they can watch some more personal videos. And um, so that's the balance I'm doing. But it is interesting. The personal ones will get significantly more subscribers um and then the the big ones just won't at all like some of them get extremely low numbers which i thought was very interesting uh like psychologically that is it's like it's really interesting how youtube in general operates as like this entertainment forum mostly made by like freelance people on their own in their free time like i don't know it's just an interesting environment for what kind of things that you see it is and i've I've thought I've noticed how funny it is how much like it's centered around, you know, trying to use the psychological tricks, like not necessarily in a malicious way. Like obviously some people do that, but more like, you know, the, the thumbnail, you're like, you know, uh, bright colors, make sure you make it eye catching. And then the title has to be something that intrigues you. For me, I just kind of call it what it is because usually people are interested enough in the topic to where I don't need to do that. Um, but that stuff and then things like, 
you know, you want the first frame of your video to be bright because it's going to catch more attention. So I try to do like the the dragon breathing fire at the beginning and like stuff like that. It's it's been interesting. And normally I don't care that much about that. But I figured, you know, if you can use a lot of those little methods put together, it usually tends to work better. Yeah, they're tried and true psychologically for a reason. And if you're going to be like making something and putting the effort into it, it doesn't hurt to sort of learn those tricks. Um, like, I, for instance, on top of the bright images, I noticed when watching a few of your videos that you usually have text, like subtitles of what you're saying in the beginning of the video, almost to like reinforce the value of what you're saying as like a hook, which is, you know, yeah. I think, yeah, smart. <laughs> Yeah, it tends it, it works pretty well and I started doing that for shorts where I just subtitle the whole thing. It takes forever. But yeah, it it works better. It just kind of keeps your attention more and I think about it cuz I watch movies and stuff with subtitles on, so I was like, you know, I need to at least put it at the beginning. Um the, the hour and a half video I did, I found out CapCut, you know, the TikTok editing app. They have a free desktop app. Um, and you can do auto captions, kind of like how you can on TikTok. And so I did it for the entire hour and a half video. There's captions on the whole thing. And they're not the fun poppy text like I normally do, because I have to do that manually. But I did auto auto captions on there. So we'll see if that has any effect. But for me, I watched it back uh, last night, and it makes it way, way easier to watch, just because you can kind of stare at the the subtitles yeah because you just have the fixed screen of the tier list which is a little bit static you know usually want yeah. like visual noise yeah normally i do i if you saw my other two tier list i think i only have two up but my other two tier lists i like to throw gameplay on the screen because i feel like that's a way i the, my really my philosophy of how i can separate myself from the other people in my space is by just making my stuff more entertaining not more entertaining but like more things going on like if you watch my you know best feature in every souls game you'll see i switch up the gameplay every couple seconds like i try to keep it always moving always new things happening on the screen and for the tier list i was like okay how can i make this more entertaining than everyone else who does tier lists and i was like okay what if i throw some gameplay of each thing i'm talking about on the screen and it seemed to do well, but obviously for this one, <laughs> I cannot go get gameplay of every boss. And I actually was planning on doing it, but when I saw how slow my computer was just from the video alone, I was like, there is zero chance that I will be able to even put one thing of gameplay on here. So I decided to do the captions instead. But I think, you know, it's like if you're doing all the work to make the video, you might as well use all the things you can to have it do well you know like people don't like doing the the thumbnails that are you know the classic thumbnail everyone's like no i don't want to do that whatever but you know you spent so much time working on the video like you you want to get it seen and you kind of have to play the game a little bit and i know there's there's pros and cons to it but i see it as you know if you get them to click and your video is actually good then just get them to click you know yeah, I can respect the hustle in that and like the desire to want your things being on. Most of uh, yeah. the listeners to the podcast listen on like Spotify or Apple Music, but I do post them on YouTube as well. And 
I sort of admire anyone that sort of puts a lot of work into the video editing because I I am so lazy with it. I'll just put like assorted unrelated combat footage from the Souls games of like whatever I was playing recently. <laughs> but <laughs> no, I think I think that works because I saw I saw you, I watched your or I guess listened to your podcast with a uh, cowboy because I love cowboy. Um. And I saw that you threw gameplay on there, and I was like, "Yeah, that that was a good a good move." Because um, a lot of people do like a blank screen. I'm like, I feel like you gotta have something on there, especially if you're not doing like a face cam for any of the stuff. So I think that's probably the best bet. And you know, if they're if they know it's a podcast, I don't think they're gonna be expecting anything crazy on the screen anyway. So I think you can get away with it. Yeah, absolutely. Like some podcasts just have like a still image or like one of those things that reads sound detection, which like that's valid, but I think it's a bit yeah. nice to have like visual noise to whatever is in a visual medium. Yeah, I agree. One podcast I like that posts on YouTube, it's another Souls podcast. It's called Sinclair Lore, and they don't use gameplay. I mean, like, sometimes they post gameplay if it's, like, referring to what they're talking about, but they put, like, a lot of effort into, like, their editing. And it's, like, they've got, like, these pixelated images of characters that represent them, and they'll, like, do zoom-ins and stuff to, like, really, like, fixate on jokes. It's sort of... I don't know. It's fun, in my opinion. Oh, that's that's great. I kn- I actually am in a group with Sinclair Lore, but I have not seen the videos. Okay, that's pretty cool that you're in a group with them at least. Yeah, I, I there's a f- there's a few people in a in a group that sometimes I ask questions. That's nice that there's like, like I assume they're lore questions or something. <laughs> yeah, it'd be lore. Well, a lot of us will ask YouTube stuff, and you know, or we'll be like, "Hey, did your interviews tank today for no reason you know like just stuff like that or like uh like feedback on thumbnails like do you think this is good stuff like that oh that's nice i don't know that i mean like i've always like heard of how content creators will have some sort of like like i guess a support group quote unquote but uh it's nice to i guess hear about it in action (laughs) yeah yeah i know i actually i hit up a Zyostorm. um Cause he, I had watched him when he, um, before I started YouTube and I hit him up and was just like, Hey dude, like if you ever, if you ever want to like chat about, uh, like YouTube or, you know, Elden Ring, whatever, like hit me up, just wanting to reach out to YouTubers and kind of like make, make friends sort of. And, um, he was like, Oh yeah, like here. And then we started chatting and then I met some of the other people through him. That's nice. He was one of the uh, first guests on the podcast, which was pretty neat. Um, yeah, I actually, I asked him to verify if you guys were legit because he sent me, or I don't know if it was you, someone sent me the email and I was like, is this real? Um, so I thought it was nice to have him to verify it. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad we can have a bit of credibility from our former guests. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of scams going around right now, so I'm just trying to be careful because like a ton of scam sponsors. Damn, that's crazy. Is it like uh is it info phishing or is it trying to like get credit card or banking information? That's sort of uh, I, scary. Yeah, I I think before they would do ones where they'd ask you to to like you know, bank account to receive your payment or they'd ask for like 
you know, a deposit before they can pay you for a sponsor, whatever. I don't, I don't know. Cause I've never entertained them far enough. Cause usually they just ask, Hey, would you like to work with this company? And it's always a company that's like too good to be true. It'll be like, hello, I am Mr. Elden ring, <laughs> you know, but, um, they'll now they were telling me, um, Smotown was telling me that what they're doing is they send you a PDF to look over. And when you open it, it takes your cookies so that way they can log into your account and steal your account, which that is terrifying. So trying to be safe out here, you know? Yeah, damn. That is a uh that is a scary breach I of know. cybersecurity. <laughs> I did not know it was that easy, you know, like I always hear about it, but also I've heard Macs are really hard to get infected, viruses, whatever. And so I usually don't worry too much because I use all Apple stuff. But um, yeah, nothing you can do about that. That's that's scary. Yeah, I dropped out of cybersecurity during COVID, so I am no official. But from what I know, it's like images and PDFs, especially the way you open them is like you're opening your computer to reading file in a like program and like a assortment of code. And if there is malicious code that knows how to bypass a vulnerability in like the browser, for instance, to steal the cookies, then it's totally possible. But with like uh... you say with Mac, it's um it's all proprietary. So I don't think there's just as much information about them. So it's generally harder to get into. Yeah, I I really know nothing about it. I probably should learn, but it's that's good to know from someone who knows what they're talking about. Only a little. I would take everything I say with a grain of salt. <laughs> well, you know more than me, so I'll take it. We'll be right back after these messages. Did you know that 8 out of 10 tarnished die alone and nameless? That they perish in forgotten battlefields, their corpses left unburied, and their names left unsung? Did you know that Queen Merica, with the Two Fingers Party, supports policy that promotes the use of knight-level soldiers against incidents involving the Tarnished? And that she has named uh, any horospecy concerning their prophesied rise to lordship as heretical? If these things seem wrong to you, then vote for the Three Fingers Party today! Our ascendant Lord of Chaos promises to burn it all down so that you too may return to the Collective. This message brought to you by the Three Fingers Party and sponsored by the Great Caravan. In other news, Saint Trina, a previous guest, released a video concerning the Celtic Knot and how it releases America, which is lore-filled and interesting. The Celtic Knot being from one of the top concept items. Aesir Aesthetics also released his Armored Core 2 retrospective last month, which will be interesting for anyone looking forward to Armored Core 6 or looking to learn some history about it after it releases. And I myself will be releasing my latest video, Elden Ring's Afterlife is Rotten, on my personal channel tomorrow. And the article is also already posted on my Sigil Tower blog for anyone interested. Um, and then one last thing, uh, I never expected to see this, but I found it while perusing channels looking for things to shout out that were recent, but apparently Sinclair Lore, Sinclair Lore has been doing a Vampire the Masquerade playthrough, which is just very interesting to me since I myself am a fan of World of Darkness. Um, so yeah, anyway, back to the episode. Okay, so Ember, uh, earlier what we were doing, uh, we were talking about Elden Ring and its faster-paced bosses, 
And I sort of mentioned how everything past Fire Giant was, you know, a lot consistently harder than the rest of the game in terms of its, like, attack speed and aggression. And you sort of, uh, you responded with this interesting idea of how some of the Dark Souls 3 bosses are just as fast, especially bosses like Soul of Cinder or Sister Frida, for instance. Mm -hmm. Um, at least in my opinion. Uh, you didn't really, I don't know if you mentioned those, but, um... I agree, though. <laughs> I am glad you agree. Uh, I'm just sort of interested in, uh... You like obviously you've made the tier lists of these bosses. Where would you sort of place the bosses at the top, like the end game bosses of Elden Ring? Like, do you think they're overtuned? You seem to have a sort of like distaste for it, or do you have you learned to like sort of accept some of the uh, the combat difficulty? Yeah, it's tough because I do feel like I I give Elden Ring a lot of shit, um, but it, you know it's it's from the same place of love that I think everyone in the community feels where it's just like, I think we were just expecting something different, but I'm not going to take anything away. Like that first playthrough was incredible and I'll never forget it. Um, I think it's, it's like the more you analyze it, the more you start picking apart what's wrong with it. Cause my first playthrough, I didn't really think that much of it. I was just kind of, but I also didn't do YouTube when I was first playing through it. So, um, I, I think now after fighting them through a bunch, I just started getting frustrated and that's probably why. Um, but I still, for, as for like my top, my top ranking um, end game bosses from Elden Ring, I really like Morgoth. I do think the attack combos go a little long, but I don't, I don't have a huge problem with it. Um, same with Godfrey. Godfrey, I like more than Morgoth. Um, and I think Horaloo was a, a cool phase. It was kind of annoying, but I liked it. And uh, yeah, it's just tough because, you know, it was uh, all of our expectations were obviously way too high for this game. But I honestly think they delivered just about the best that they possibly could have. That's why I'm like, I want to be clear that I'm not taking anything away from the game. I think it was amazing. Um, I don't like Elden Beast, but I think it was really cool in an awesome way to to end the game. Like, I'm not really mad about Elden Beast. I just don't think the fight was that fun, which is fine. Radagon, I think, is probably my f one of my favorites in the whole game. Um, if it was separated, it would probably be my number one. Um, but that was an insane case of, like, the combos going forever and just, like, crazy aggression. Um, Moog is up there for me as well. And uh, Godric, yeah, Godric, which is <laughs> everyone hates because he's he's not that hard. But I think Godric is like one, probably the coolest boss they've done, and I just think he's awesome and I love the fight. And I wish he was a late game boss instead of early game because it was pretty mind blowing. At least we get go to Freud, <laughs> um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I like that breakdown. It's um. Ironically, I, I mean, I don't like, I don't want to sound like I've led you into this sort of questioning because I disagree, but I do actually enjoy quite a bit of how they've, uh, I guess, what's the word, iterated on the DS3 formula, formula mm -hmm. in Elden Ring. Like, I think a lot of people really like Godfrey because in some ways he really is the DS3 formula to a T in his first phase where a lot of his yeah. attacks are very rollable. Um, 
and that sort of telegraphs to let you know which direction to roll. And while I, he's got a couple of different mix-ups that I love and are difficult, um, he is definitely sort of like the traditional Souls boss. Uh, and he yeah. also can't be parried, which is, uh, I think Miyazaki's still a little salty about Gwen. Um, <laughs> Probably. But, yeah, it's like, you say Hora lose annoying, and I sort of agree gameplay-wise, but I sort of like him for that reason, because he's like, he's roll-catch city, he is all aggression, like Godfrey oh, in yeah. his first phase. It's... It's in some ways the developers are holding themselves back in what they can present combat-wise, and that is characterized by, you know, Godfrey literally being held back by Sirash. But then you have his second phase where he is just the meanest different, like, arrays of combos that trap you in, like, AoEs or grabs or, like, roll-catch grabs. It is terrifying. Mm. No, and I, I agree. I actually... Really, like, I wouldn't change anything about it. He just happened to be kind of annoying, but I think it was awesome, and I loved... I really love it as a whole, and that's why I'm like, I can't really hate too much, because there's nothing I would change. I just think some of it was kind of annoying. But I loved it. I agree that it's pretty similar to DS3. Um, I think... Really, I I heard an interesting idea. I I apologize, because I don't remember who said it, but... Someone was saying if they had added um, a posture bar, it would have kind of changed the whole thing and made it a little better. I'm not sure how much I agree with this, but I think for bosses, or at least some bosses, it could have been cool, because you could tell when you were getting close, and then sometimes if you back away, it feels like it would totally reset, like the you know their posture getting low before you get the visceral, so... I don't know. I thought that was an interesting idea, and maybe that was what felt like it was missing, because most of the time when I fought the late-game bosses, it felt like a race to get them to that to that point, because you never know when it, they're going to break, but at some point they will. And it was hard to tell, like, the jumping attack seemed to do more, but no one really knew, so, like, I don't know. I thought that was an interesting uh, idea, though. As someone who plays these games while uh, listening to audiobooks, I've got like a sort of, I've got like 300-ish hours in Elden Ring, I think. So I've played it up to like New Game Plus 12, because I don't know, I just... Oh I shit. Like to, yeah, I like to do that kind of stuff. I've got the New Game Plus like 11 run on my channel. Um, but I guess I guess I'm leading with that, because I, I see where you're coming from with the poise breaks, and I can totally see how someone that like would look at Sekiro and would look at how Sekiro inspired parts of Elden Ring, and even look how the posture system that's already in the game is somewhat similar to Sekiro. And I guess as what I would say as someone that's generally better than the average player, because like, you know, I've done like Rune Level 1 runs, I've done, you know, New Game Plus 7 runs. Uh yeah. The posture breaks on New Game Plus regular, especially when you use jump attacks, which I think definitely do more poise damage than regular attacks, are sort of almost overpowered. Like, you will dominate bosses. And I know that, like, you dominate bosses when you go into co-op if everyone's playing effectively because of that reason. Mm -hmm. Um... Which isn't to say they're bad. They they are super cool to get happen. They're very cinematic feeling. I think they add a lot to the fight. But honestly, I think if they were, uh, I think if they were made as important, made important to the point that Sekiro had made them important, it sort of overemphasized that style of gameplay. 
Like maybe if you had a deflection or parry system that added to it, or maybe if there were other ways to do posture damage. But as it is, posture damage is like, it's like a reward for being aggression. Like you said earlier, if you back off too long, their poise meter will reset. So it's like, if you're really brawling it out with a boss, and if you're like trading blows with them, then you might get like a lucky posture break. Or maybe if you're like really going off on a boss, or if you've got a bunch of people unloading heavy attacks, you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, th I think that makes sense. And I think a lot of that also is like with, um, it's, it may, it may be just because Elden Ring's asking something different of you that they have in previous titles or FromSoft is asking something different from me. Um, because it kind of feels to me like, so like Demon Souls and then the Dark Souls trilogy is like, um, you know, be defensive run away, block, whatever, dodge, um, then get a hit in, then retreat. Bloodborne obviously takes the opposite approach as well as Sekiro. And then Elden Ring is kind of an interesting balance where they're like, be aggressive, but you're also going to be punished very heavily for being aggressive. So it was an interesting balance that I think I still have yet to quite get down because I naturally play very aggressive in every game I play, even an FPS game, I just run out in the middle and, you know, I just want to get the most kills possible. Um, so I liked that in Elden Ring, but it, it, it almost, I don't know, it was, it was just an interesting thing where it felt like they were trying to make you aggressive, but you would get punished. Um, and I just never, I never found the, the right balance of aggression versus, you know, being defensive. I think that's very fair. It takes a lot of learning about like the individual boss move sets, and even then, there's there's certain occasions where you really do have to just like know when to back off. I think you hit the nail on the head with uh, Elden Ring introducing a new balance, and I mm. think uh, like when you said that you weren't able to find it, I think that's something a lot of people have possibly had issues with, while other people just like haven't, which leads to like all of these debates on which bosses to like. Um, like, I think that, honestly, Elden Ring, like, the Souls trilogy, in some ways, sort of lulled people into a false sense of security. Because if you try to yeah. play Sekiro, where you dodge a lot, like in Dark Souls 3, you'll get caught. You know, it's a parry game. If you try yeah. to play Elden Ring, like, you play Dark Souls 3, where you're constantly rolling into the boss and staying as close as possible just to whack them all the time, then you'll get hit because their AI is more aggressive the closer you are. Like, mm -hmm. There's this, uh, there's definitely like a newfound balance, and I think part of what Elden Ring tries to do that, like, I mean, like every game that has a hard final boss is trying to like pace out the amount of time it takes you to beat it. Like Soul of Cinder is definitely one of the harder bosses of Dark Souls Three. Mm -hmm. um, but with Elden Ring, they've like they've paced essentially like in my opinion, most Souls games are can be broken down into a three act structure. But like honestly, it's because you can break most things down into a three-act structure. So, uh, but yeah. with Souls games specifically, it's like if you break it down into everything pre-Dexus Lift. That's the first phase. You know, you're in the fringe lands. If mm. you break it down to Altus and Gelmir, they have like a sort of opposition value. That's the second phase. And then people will always say that the last game, part of the game, like the end game, it feels empty. 
but that's sort of you know yeah. like at this point people have talked about how that's by intention it's it's not an exploration focus anymore it's a combat boss rush focus and to sort mm -hmm. of enhance that feeling each boss in that continued like cycle isn't like there is a difficulty spike like Morgoth introduces it with his combos which like if you space them out can be avoided Fire Giant introduces you to like the raw endurance battle that these bosses are going to be, and then the gods can do a jump send to combine <laughs> it into two concepts. Like, yeah, yeah, th I think that's a really good point actually um, that I haven't haven't considered, and I also think it's really easy to be critical about the game, especially because that's the thing to do right now. Um, of course, as it always is, if something's big enough, everyone will eventually try to tear it down. Um, but it's, it's tough for me. And I think I just, it, it, it's, I don't know. I, I just don't want to make it seem like Elden Ring isn't, is, is any less than it is, which is incredible and pretty much the perfect, you know, from soft game. So I think I, it, it's just tough for me to, to say much because I don't really know how they could have done many of these things any better. Like I agree the three act structure, I think it's done really well. I think the first act feels like uh, a heavy emphasis on exploration. Uh, the second is kind of like, uh, I don't actually know what I would consider that, but, and then the third, obviously a boss rush. Um, but speaking of that, I think a boss rush mode would potentially make, it would make me, I think, it would bump Elden Ring up on some slots in my ranking, probably, because I think that is a big part of why Sekiro became my number one, um, because they had that, and it allowed me to get good at each boss, learn them, and just play the fun parts as much as I wanted. Um, so hopefully they add that. We'll see. What are your thoughts on uh, adding that mode? I think the fact that there's a precedent with Sekiro sort of implies that they know that fans want that. And I even tried to add it in the past with the bonfire aesthetic. I think, mm -hmm. like, there's this core layer of immersion, I think, that they always, like, from software tries to achieve, where they like to, like, obfuscate gameplay features with lore, like how the PvP is at a Coliseum. Yeah. Um, and I think, like, that sort of prevented them from doing the boss rush. But legitimately, I do think it's possible for Elden Ring to get one. I would actually really hope it does. Like you said, the Sekiro Gauntlet of Strength, like, and Reflections of Strength are very fun. And mm -hmm. honestly, Elden Ring, of all of the games, because it's open world, it has sort of the highest time investment if you want to just refight bosses. Like, Sekiro, you can exactly. run through the game, like, you know, lickety split. You don't even have to be a speedrunner. Like, it's built for that. And Elden Ring. Yes, Sekiro. Oh, go, oh, go ahead, on. <laughs> no, yeah, you can go. <laughs> uh, Sekiro, I think, is the, the, honestly, the last one that would need a boss rush. Cause that would be, that's the easiest game to just sprint through and fight bosses. But yeah, I agree. Elden Ring is so long. For me, that I think was a big problem is like, I would fight a boss, maybe I'd get lucky, and then I'd be like, well, now I got to play the whole game through if I want to fight him again, which is fine. But, you know, not everyone has the time to do that. Um, so that I think that could be part of it for me. Yeah. In my personal opinion, um, one thing, uh, like a saving grace to that design mindset is that the limiting factor of new game regular with a fresh character is that you have to stop in mini dungeons to get your build figured out. 
But continuing yes. to New Game Plus, I actually think that New Game Plus 1, 2, 3, or even like 4 or 5, depending on your skill level, is somewhat easier, depending on if you oh, know how yeah. to use the entire kit. And 100%. Yeah, so like, the game almost is built around that idea of going through and mastering the game on your like second or third playthroughs. And... um. At least for me, if you know the map well enough, like if you know some of the teleport locations that are convenient or like the key items you need, like uh, you can get, I think I um, essentially, not to like keep going back to my channel, but in the new game plus like 10 or 11 run, I did a boss rush like preview to it that was like, I think like four to five hours long and like two-ish hours of that were like everything that was uh, Godfrey and up just because of how hard they are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that makes sense. Like I, I don't deny that you can run through it. My, I think my third playthrough, I did that and I was pretty overpowered and it was pretty easy, but yeah, I know I've, I've, I've gone back and forth on that. I, I think just from thinking about it from a video game standpoint, like not in terms of breaking immersion or anything like that, just purely thinking of it as a game, um, a boss rush mode would be would be awesome just to keep people entertained, and it's probably not that hard for them to do. But I do agree. I think there are certain certain design choices that they may not want to make, such as that because they want to. You know, they don't want to break the immersion too much. I think the bonfire aesthetic would be a good addition. I think that's like the best, the best, uh, a balance, I guess you could say, uh, between those points. And I'm pretty upset they have never added it back. I mean, maybe for farming it would be too easy, but they could just take away, you know, they could be like, all right, well, if you use it, you don't get any runes. So it's like purely just for fun. I don't know. Yeah, I um I had a conversation with a mod developer, Grimrock, on a previous episode, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but from what I remember of the episode, uh, he had told me that Dark Souls 2 as an engine was built much differently, with like the ways the areas are segmented being differently designed, and I've always wondered if that had to do with the system that allowed for bonfire aesthetics to affect different areas, since... Um, yeah... Yeah, like the game is like the games for Elden Ring, and like all of the Souls games. I think it's sort of, I like I haven't really I can't look under the hood or anything. I'm not like a software developer, but I think that like it's possible as we saw in Sekiro to make a boss rush at this point. But like Sekiro has some pretty long loading times for those boss rush modes, so I think that there's a lot of like preloading and the RAM they have to do to get the areas to work out of order. Whereas like when you go through the game normally, it can preload things much more naturally because you're like restricted by fast traveling or moving through an area. Yeah, that would make sense. Especially with like how, you know, how do you decide what's being covered by a bonfire aesthetic in Elden Ring too, since it's so big. And, oh yeah, that'd be a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, it would be it would be a little bit tough to figure out. One problem I have with the Souls games as a whole, I'm curious to hear what you think about this, is for me, um, really it's like I really want to experiment with different builds and weapons all the time. And I love that you can reallocate your stats, but I don't like that your upgrades you have to upgrade the weapon all over again because 
especially in Elden Ring, upgrading your weapon does it's a humongous difference. I like it is in all the games, but I feel like Elden Ring was extremely noticeable. And I have never won I I mean it may make them lose value or like getting extra upgrade materials loses value. But I always wished you could get like a, maybe a separate item that would allow you to transfer that plus 10 to a different weapon. So that way you could try out other builds easier without having to play through the game again or grind or anything like that. Um, but I don't know. That may be a little too much. What do you think? So I, uh, I completely agree, actually. I, um, I am one of those people that very heavily values my time, maybe overvalues it when it comes to like sinking it into, I guess, like games and stuff. Because it's like, yeah, in my opinion, if a developer doesn't respect my time and how they programmed their game, then why should I bother to play it? Which I guess is a bit harsh, but... Um... No, I think that's fair. Yeah, so for uh like for like all of the Souls games, one of my common critiques and like it's it can be solved in various Souls games depending on your game knowledge, but it's the lack of upgrade materials. And I think Elden Ring really actually suffers from a huge lack of upgrade materials. Like you can yeah. get maybe like naturally playing through the game the first time, you're not going to have a huge issue with the upgrade path unless you sequence break something and accidentally miss like a branch of upgrades, which itself mm -hmm. is an in is an issue. Like they really should have put like a variety of lower level stones in the areas that had passed that level just to ensure that people that could pick it, which like, yeah, I mean, I don't know, maybe that's a bit harsh. But that's my take. I think they absolutely should have given stone drops to, like, the soldier enemies. As of now, you get, like, nothing for farming them besides runes, which is a little bit meh, in my opinion. But uh, that's, you know, to each their own. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, it's That was always a big thing for me, and I I understand why it is the way it is. But I think for just... It's like I said, like, if you go back to it, I... I think of everything logically and i'm like okay if it's a game i should be able to do you know all the things i want like obviously in the souls games you have to earn everything you're doing but i think there's a point where you have to be like this is a game and it's supposed to be fun <laughs> like ultimately that is the goal of making a game it's supposed to be enjoyable and the difficulty of these games is what makes it enjoyable but i think at a certain point you know it's like you already beat the game. You already, you know, went and grinded and got all the upgrade mats. You should be able to just transfer them over uh, without, you know, I don't, I don't know. The, the games are very, like, cheese-proof for the most part. Obviously, there are plenty of things you can cheese or ways to get overpowered, but there's no real way to, like, break the game because they don't add anything like that. So that could be why. Uh, I'm not sure, though. Um. I think uh, I think Elden Ring's saving grace, and something that they realized about like the general difficulty of acquiring upgrade materials in general, is that Dark Souls Three and uh, Elden Ring both have like you know like the Ashen system or the Bell Bearing like system. Bell Bearings, yeah, yeah, where you can unlock all of the upgrade materials. That like I think they're pretty well they're pretty well placed to make sure that you can't easily get overpowered weapons, but you can make sure that you have what it's required to take care of like the challenge in front of you yeah um, that's that's fair i've gotten that critique a lot when i've mentioned that idea everyone's like just get the bell bearings <laughs> yeah i think it's like i mean like it's a like so 
I think what's interesting about your proposed idea is that I feel like it's coming from a place where you want to preserve that sort of limited resource aspect of the game that like Souls games try to go for. It's not like complete survival horror or anything like that, but there's definitely a feeling of being like alone in a hostile land where you're fighting on your own. So the fact that you have limited resources does play into that a little bit. You know, you definitely see that with like Dark Souls 1, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's true. I, there's a lot of back and forth I do on these where I think I think they're very intentional about what they do. So I am always hesitant to be too critical or too um, happy on introducing a new idea because I feel like they've thought a lot of these things through and they have pretty good reasons for why they don't. I just kind of say what my preference would be as a player and... Um, yeah, I mean, but I understand why they do what they do, and I I really don't have a problem with it. It's just a thing from someone who's played the games, all of them a million times, and would be would be cool for me, but I totally get why they wouldn't. Yeah, absolutely. Like, honestly, I think that from software, I mean, like, I'm sure that they value that kind of input. They don't want just, like, praise for their games. They want, like, legitimate feedback from what people would prefer. So, you know, I don't think you should be, like, you know, you're not like you're just putting forth your honest opinion on how you feel about the game and how you interacted with the upgrade system, you know? Yeah, yeah. And the the reason I, I get hesitant on things like that is because I worry it, I worry that it'd be like a butterfly effect, you know, where it's like they do one thing like that and then it kind of breaks something else that breaks something else. Like they're very it's not like I think it's a glass wall or whatever the phrase is, but it's like, you know, um, if you know if you if you do that then what what does that break does that you know make something else way too easy is that i i don't know that's kind of the way i see it and i'm like i feel like they had a very intentional way of doing this and it's like if you mess up one thing then it may take down some other things with yeah absolutely like there's a there's a core premise to each of these games that they're designed around and every like different concept in both the gameplay and the lore is carefully looked at you know like elden ring was very play tested uh, millennia for instance was a very conscious decision by the devs to make her hard as all shit which like yeah. personally that's where i drew the line like i'm one of those people that loves elden beast just because i don't think it should be that easy to beat the game and the Elden Beast yeah. is like an endurance battle that ensures that if you can't dodge if you can't block you're going to get hit until you run out of flasks and then you'll die. But like, I like that. Yeah. I think that, you you know, you know, it's like in some ways get good, which like, or summon someone until you get lucky. That's part of the fun. It's, I think it's a valued conscious decision. And I think I respect that with Melania, who is even harder and has lifesteal and is just insane in all ways. But like, yeah. I think that's where I draw the line personally, just because I don't think it's fun. So I get why people draw the line at Elden Beast or at Malekith or at Godfrey, even if those like are some of my favorite fights in the entire series, you know? Yeah, I that's that's interesting because ultimately for me it comes down to did I think it's fun? Like, did I think it was fun? And <laughs> that's why for Elden Beast, I just didn't really think the fight was that fun. Like, like I said, I. I don't even have a problem with it being the final boss. Like I thought it was really, really cool and it looked awesome. 
And so I didn't really care. I was just like, I don't think the fight was that fun. But Millennia, for whatever reason, I thought was really fun. I tried her like 60 times and didn't really care because I was like, I think this is fun. But I like the humanoid uh, bosses a lot. And so it really doesn't matter what it is. If it's like a humanoid boss slash enemy, whatever, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to like it. But I, I kind of like that they just decided to to just go as hard as possible. I think the waterfowl dance was a bad, bad decision, though. I still, even though there's a way to dodge it, it's, it's, it's just not, not fun to deal with. And I really wish they would have taken that out. I think it would have been perfect without that, honestly. I, I had really similar feelings. I think I took like 40 tries or something based off of what I remember of using great runes. Um, yeah. And I fought millennia before I just summoned my friend because I was tired of it. But like, at some point, I was like, well, yeah, this fight would be pretty fun if she didn't have, like, the waterfowl as a one-hit. And it's like, like, it's only a one-hit if you don't see it coming. So once you learn it, it does... I do respect the idea of, like, once you learn how to read the waterfowl, you can avoid it pretty consistently, at least if you yeah. have the spacing for it. Yeah, that's the thing. If you're too close, you're kind of screwed. Honestly, they could have added that and just made it get you to the basically take all your health except like one hp that would have been fine with me it's the fact that it will one shot you pretty much no matter what yeah like if the first hit it connects then you're probably dead because you're not gonna yeah be able you're to, screwed yeah which i mean that's like the crux of why i don't like her i think it i think the big thing in all of these games is that there's a measure between the amount of offense the player can get out compared to the opponent's defense and that sort of measures mm -hmm. the fun factor so to say like the push and pull of a fight and how dynamic it feels and how in, like enthralled by that you'll be but then yeah. the the power of the attacks and the lethality of the combos whether intentional or not are going to decide the overall difficulty of the boss because it's sort of a measure against how much damage you can do safely over a certain amount of time with like the chances of you dying being calculated based off of your proclivity to like missing a roll or a dodge compared to like the intensity of that attack which like with Melania who has a very high intensity attack and a very hard uh, like chance to dodge it it makes her like automatically just insanely difficult you know unless you get lucky yeah i think that's a great point that's very true and i agree um, yeah, I think a big, a big no-no for me <laughs> when I see it is getting trapped in attack combos. I've never been a fan of that. Like, I don't have an issue if you make it tough to get out of, but, you know, there's like some, I think Manus has one like this, where it's like, if you get hit by the first one, the whole thing's gonna kill you, and you won't be able to escape it. Um, and, you know, you can also say just don't get hit by the first one um but it goes back to just being like well if i made one mistake you know my whole run is done because i made one mistake that one shot me so i don't know i've never been a huge fan like i like being able to get at least one second chance even if it's really tough um but like i've said before i have no idea how they would implement that so it's hard for me to critique it if i don't have a solution for it yeah i um i think uh you know, like, that second chance aspect to the game, I think, is really important because it's the fear of dying sometimes that makes you play passively and make mistakes. 
And I think it's really yeah. fun to be able to ignore that fear, which is why, you know, going back to Sekiro, which is the most perfect game ever made, obviously, it has the yes. dying twice thing. Like, you can put your life on the line once, which is incredible for incentivizing player aggression, I, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree, and I like the... Like, they had tears of denial and stuff, um, but yeah, I think Sekiro did it the best, and it almost felt... When I first saw that, I actually didn't like that feature. I was like, this is stupid. Why would I get another life? But seeing the way they implemented it, from like an immersion standpoint, it was kind of weird, and I don't know how I feel about it exactly. But from gameplay, I think it's like, it's chef's kiss. It's perfect, because, you know, if you get screwed, you get one more chance, and you get up with half health, so it works well. Yeah, that's fair. I uh, I like it just because, like, yeah, like, if you get screwed, you can come back. Or if you, like, get knocked down to half health, you don't have to incentivize healing so fast. Which I think yeah. is a good mindset for any game. Like, even in Elden Ring, I just embrace the chances of death. <laughs> yeah, same. I try to just be all in. I know that um, lethal combo-wise, you're definitely right about Manus, although his do his doesn't do as much damage as the Soul of Cinder Phase 2, which is generally oh lethal. <laughs> That's the best example right there. That's the one I was forgetting. Yeah, that one's yeah. evil. <laughs> that was my first introduction to the inescapable combo, and I was like, what the fuck? Like, why would they add this? So mean. It is very mean. I sort of appreciate it for its meanness. No, I like it. I like it. <laughs> yeah. I, there's like a balance where I, I just crack up. Because I, I did a thing where I was saying overrated, underrated for each uh, Elden Ring boss. I did it for Dark Souls 3, too. Um, and for the, the Valiant Gargoyles, the twin gargoyles, I was saying, like, it's not a good fight, I don't think. Um, I don't like it, but I kind of just appreciate when they... They just kind of throw you a middle finger every once in a while, and you just kind of can't help but laugh. You're just like, this is so ridiculous. Like, why would they do this? And sometimes those moments are funny. So it's hard for me ever to get too upset with things. But when it's something like Millennia where you're like, okay, this is serious. I need to beat this boss. And then she's one hit, and then you get waterfowled. It's just, oh, nightmares. Yeah, that's real. It's demoralizing in a way. <laughs> yeah, 100%. That's it. Demoralizing. I think that Elden Ring especially sort of refined those, you know, fuck you moments, quote unquote. It's like, yeah. like the Valiant Gargoyles are a good one. Even if I will uh, say the boss is good, you know, I like to argue for it um, for some of its merits, even if it's annoyingly hard sometimes. Um Yeah. But, like, that that drop pit before the Flame of Frenzy, like, I've got it pretty much in my memory by now. But, like, the first time I did that was, you know, it was pretty mean. It was very mean. Yeah, 100%. They also, <laughs> like, with, uh, what was the other one? Oh, yeah, with Godskin Duo, I actually never really hated the fight. But I, I also, I summoned just because, or I did, like, a this spirit. Um... Just because I was like, okay, you know, it's not very fun alone. But I think with with someone else, um, or like a spirit ash, it's not actually that bad. And normally I was I was kind of hesitant to even use it at all in my first playthrough, but Godskin I did. And I was like, 
you know, it's kind of fun, but the apostle and the noble separately, like alone, are probably the two two of my favorite mini bosses ever. They're so creative and fun and just like creepy. I think they're awesome. Yeah, definitely. Like lore wise, gameplay wise, visual appeal, they sort of nail it all. They even have like a bomb ass yeah. OST. Oh yeah. And I love that honestly, even finding I think uh the apo the apostle's the the skinny one, right? Yeah, the tall skinny one. Yeah, so the apostle I actually did they I think they both had two different encounters alone. But the apostle the first one I ran into of any of the godskins was the apostle in um I think it was Altus Plateau. It was outside by the windmill. Yeah, the um, Damanula one's generally people's first one, because the other one's in the Caled Tower, which is a bit hard oh, yeah. to find, naturally. Yeah, and I think I actually had my friend tell me about that one, so he like showed me where to go when I was first playing. Um, but yeah, when I first encountered I was like, this is the coolest mini-boss I've ever seen, and it was just, it felt so random. I was like, what? Like, this is incredible. And it was a great challenge, too. I had a lot of trouble with it. Yeah, they've got some scary combos, and they're quick, too. Like, they keep you on, their, on your toes. Yeah, and the stretchy, like, with how far, the, far, how far that will reach you is insane. Like, the range of that is crazy. It's really cool that they, like, capture this sort of epic and terrifying nature that's, like, creepy. And then they give it, like, these goofy roll attacks or stretch yeah. attacks, but they still make them scary at the same time. They, like, manage yeah, it's to like comedic it relief, almost. Yeah. It's funny. They're really good at is at doing like um, creepy but cool and cinematic. They're good at all that. Like it's it's really impressive how they design these bosses. Like obviously Bloodborne, they killed it with the creepy and the like the almost disturbing, but also just like kind of beautiful at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, I think Miyazaki won. He was like put in times like number one hundred people in on the planet or something this year. Which, like, Damn. with the way he, yeah, I was pretty surprised too. I was like, that's some pretty cool recognition. But like, I guess yeah. it makes sense with how wide like mainstream gaming is and how influential his games particularly like are on the medium. Like, he really he handles tone through gameplay in such a like wonderful way it's really impressive yeah it is and it's i forgot i didn't even really mention this before but the soul series like really got me back into gaming i i wasn't like you know i had since maybe like after high school or like i think after like middle school i stopped playing as much because obviously you get a little bit busier you got school you got whatever um and then Fortnite was big so i was kind of just playing that like just sort of online games i wasn't playing like the super um immersive games where it's like story and you know single player and so i i hadn't played those since i was a little younger and so i was kind of playing just like normal like the mainstream games for a while and then in college, I actually, uh, uh, my friend recommended the Souls, or he recommended Dark Souls 3 to me. And that's when I was like, I felt like a kid again. Like, it reminded me of Ninja Gaiden, like the cutscenes and the way they 
the way they went about difficulty and stuff and i was like wow this is like it rekindled my love for gaming and then at the same time ruined every other game for me so i can totally get that i've always been i guess something a little bit elitist with I guess gaming. Like, there's a couple of like, there's like these series that I really like, and I generally like. I guess like the action and grand strategy genres. But like, for a while, I was just like, I'd play Souls releases or maybe like the Return to X events where people would replay the game to get like an online community. But like, mostly I just played online games with my friends, just because it's like it's like a social thing, and it. I don't know. I guess so to say, I, I get where you're coming from with how games didn't captivate you for a while, but then like your interest was always sucked in by souls or something. Like there's definitely something yeah. a bit like more to them that I like I, as well. I agree. I'm a big I'm I'm big on um I like challenges. So w- in whatever I'm doing, like whatever I do every day to me has to have some form of productivity i'm a bit of like um just someone i'm just kind of a hardo about things and so like everything like even right now like we're having this conversation i'm getting to know you and your thoughts we're also you know creating content like this is productive to me and i enjoy it best of both worlds but ultimately everything i do i prefer to have some kind of productive nature to it And that's kind of, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. Like I could be hanging out with a friend and the way I see it is I'm strengthening our bond, not like, like, I don't know. That's, it's the easiest way for me to go about life, feeling like I'm getting better with everything I do. And that's why the Soul Series was really captivating for me because I was like, I feel like I'm in some ways improving as a person and improving my life because, you know, everyone says the basic, the classic, like, you know, it applies to life because you have to learn to push through adversity and keep trying again, try something else. And it really did apply to my life a lot. And when I found it, I wasn't in, I wasn't in like a terrible place, but I wasn't in the greatest place and I wasn't really making the best decisions. And it kind of put me back on track and I think led me to where I am now. And I'm I'm very happy with how things have been going since I picked up Dark Souls 3. So it's kind of crazy. Like, it really had a huge impact on me. Oh, well, I'm happy that, like, it was able to have such a deep impact on you. It's sort of, you know, it's nice that the series has that sort of reach and emotional, I guess, like, availability. Yeah, it's weird, and not everyone gets it, you know? I don't, I don't have many friends that play them, and people, you know, they think it's dumb if I'm like, oh, the game saved my life, whatever. But it's... You know, that's that's really how I see it. Like, it put me on the track to do what I'm doing now. Um, I was going to ask you, what's your favorite, what's your number one, like, game of all time? Mm, that's a tough question. Um, or, or, like, a top three. I'm, I'm just curious, like, what your favorite games are. Okay. Uh, well, it doesn't, I... doesn't have to be Souls. <laughs> I think I would put Souls in there. Like I think like like Sekiro is just something I've enjoyed so much that Yeah. I think it definitely deserves a spot in my top three and maybe even could vie for a position as favorite game of all time currently. Although honestly, Elden Ring is I I mean like I think I like Sekiro more ultimately, but you know. All of the Souls games are great though, and they're probably all ranked alongside everything else I would say here, because I don't know, I'm a fan yeah. person, I suppose. Yeah. Um, 
I uh I quite like um have you ever heard of Seafill the game? Oh, they actually just sent me a code. Um oh, really? I thought it was really fun. Yeah. Oh, you were so lucky. Was it for like the DLC or expansion or whatever? Yeah, or... but I don't I don't know what I was playing cuz I hadn't played it before. Okay. Yeah, cuz Seafill is from um, it's made by the same people that made Absolver, which I liked Absolver, but I think the designing your own combos thing lends itself too much to just looking up a meta combo and like just made the gameplay over hard if you didn't know how to like kit yourself out. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, like Sifu sort of solves that because everything is intentionally designed as counters to various enemies, but like they all flow into each other really well. It's like it's like Sekiro, but if like the trick weapons and combat arts were a lot more honed in to the, the enemy types. So like you really mm-hmm. like you you use a lot of combos in that game and it sort of appeals to me in that sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I I've had a lot of fun playing around with it. I need to dive a little deeper, but I it's so far it's really satisfying and really cool. Yeah, I think that's the best way to sum it up. Yeah. Um, I, uh, honestly, for the third spot, I'm sort of torn, because I quite like strategy games and whatnot, like, uh, aside from the Soul series, like, the other series that I, like, play every game of, even the stuff that, like, didn't release in the US is Fire Emblem, just because I think that it's, like, a fun strategy game with sort of neat stories and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um... But, like, honestly, like, all of the games, and I hate to say it, they're sort of all mid for various reasons. Like, they're good, and I've played all of them, some of them multiple yeah. times. So, like, but, like, I can't I can't say that they're, like, inc- you know, like, some of, like, you have to approach it liking strategy games, which not everyone can appreciate. Um, that makes sense. So, like, I don't know, maybe, like, Stellaris or Crusader Kings 3, or maybe, like, Zelda Wind Waker, just because I have a lot of nostalgia for that game. Oh yeah, I'm excited for the new Zelda. Yes, yes, I I liked Breath of the Wild, but it had some core things that I just like didn't like. Like I think I mentioned earlier my smithing stone issue, and that's sort of a broader issue where I just don't like grinding in any game. I think it's most usually a waste of time unless it's like made fun. Yeah, uh, agreed. Yeah, so having like the fact that you could go to certain areas and sort of like de level, so to say, by having your valuable weapons break wasn't super fun in breath of the wild but i think breath of the wild 2 it'll really get around some of those issues and of course like i loved the harder parts of breath of the wild 1 like hyrule castle the reset island the master sword challenges those are like honestly amazing microcosms of the overall game design philosophy of fighting people taking their equipment and then killing them with it yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs> that was a bit wordy on my part. I apologize. No, no, not at all. I was uh, I was just thinking about it because I don't think I went. I'm trying to remember. I think I honestly don't know if I went all the way through the game, but I was just thinking about my first playthrough of that. And um, yeah, it was just interesting. I don't know. Breath of the Wild 1, you mean? Yeah, I think I didn't love the combat as much, and that's what I go to for what i go to games for um so i think that was my problem but i i love the world and i i like that i like the worlds that have like the the really the nice atmosphere the the happy world like i did a um 
a sponsored video for Asteragos. I don't know if you've heard of that. Um, uh, oh, I haven't. Okay, it was like a, it was like a Souls like kind of a like a Greek mythology theme, and I thought it was really fun. And it wasn't like you know, it was lower budget, obviously, so it wasn't like crazy. Well, like you know, it wasn't Elden Ring, but I thought it was so fun, and the way they had all their stuff set up, and I was really sad the game didn't catch on. But the world was like, it was almost like happy, you know, it was like bright colors and like cartoony a little bit, but it was still very challenging and very serious at the same time. And I think that's that's kind of underutilized sometimes. Like, I think it's fun to just have one where it's like, you know, Saturday afternoon, you sit on the couch with your friend and you switch off lives and you just run around this like bright world and just fight enemies and stuff. Yeah, as much as I love the sort of Soul series, I definitely think that there's room for more lighthearted games in like adjacent genres. Like even Wolong mm-hmm. and Neo, they're very like comedic at times in how they yeah. portray their characters. They're um, still at the same time they're so serious. Yeah, they'll have like entire dungeons where like people were sacrificed to make the elixir yeah. of life and it's it's very dark. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I definitely see where you're going from. I think Zelda sort of captures that a little bit, like where it's, I mean, like there's like, you know, evil stuff happening, but it's generally whimsical at the same time. Yeah, that's that's really what was in mind when I was picturing that whole idea was Zelda. They They do it well, and it's pretty fun. But I feel like my favorites, it's the same with like shows, like... My favorite shows are like Game of Thrones, like, you know, the dark shows that are very serious. But at the same time, sometimes you need some like, uh, I, I don't know, I'm trying to think of like a more like the office, you know, like you need you need some of both. Um, and you can have two favorite shows for different reasons. But like, I also love Half-Life and that game is very dark for the most part. Um, and yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think there's a place for both. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think the Greeks figured out that sentiment, like, you know, comedy and drama, the two faces of theater, like, you know, everyone needs a little bit of both in their lives. Yeah, I know. And I think there's a there's a place for that in gaming. I will say Fortnite does that so well, like that world is so just pleasing to the eye and very happy, even though you're murdering each other in a ruthless battle royale (laughs) it's still like when i see the gameplay of that i'm like a little bit happy yeah honestly i don't you know i the graphics are pretty cartoony and people sort of hate on it for that because i don't know knee-jerk reaction to hating kids games but i do appreciate it it looks nice honestly you know like yeah it's so (laughs) influential i can't I really don't hate on any games. I hate on COD a little bit, even though I, I do enjoy Call of Duty, but they're just kind of a shit show right now, and they need to get it together. <laughs> I think that's you know completely valid to hate on COD. <laughs> yeah, I think most people are at that point right now. But yeah, I, I'm really liking the... I'm so happy I got back into the single-player games. and have. It's like I found a whole new world of things I was missing while I was... You know, after I I set it down, I picked it back up and was like, wow, there are still really good games like this out here. Yeah, absolutely. Like, 
I, uh, I'm definitely a little picky with what I pick up from time to time, but I feel like there's, uh, like, the genre for single-player games has in some ways never been better, because, like, for a long time, the only people that were able to do it were people that, like, were backed by companies that paid them a salary while they made the game, while they were just, like, you know, computer programmers, and we got, like, great stuff from that, like, you know, like, Halo and everything, at least the first, yeah. you know, older ones, um, But, like, at this point, those, like, we can get that same development cycle, but just from people, like, kickstarting it or, like, having the chance to, like, you know, like, I guess dedicate a year or two of their time if they save up and then, like, in the hopes that they will get a good release. I don't know. I think it's, uh, at least, like, with, like, the release of something like Disco Elysium, for instance, I think there's, like, some real cerebral single-player games that we've gotten so far and that we will get in the future that I'm sort of excited to see. Yeah, me too. And I, I'm actually a bit worried about the way it's tough, like the way that they're making money, because obviously micro microtransactions make a ton of money. Um, but if you're not like a huge studio or you have a huge title, it seems like it's pretty tough to like even get close to breaking even. Because if you think about how many people are developing a game, how much you got to pay them. And then they're still only charging 10 more dollars than they were. Like, how long ago was it when they changed it to 60 bucks? Like 10, at least 10 years, I feel like. So, like, it's only went up to 70 recently. And it worries me because I, I feel like a lot of people aren't going to get a good chance. And it's the same with, like, Asteragos. Like, I feel like that had a good, a, a good chance of doing well, and it just didn't. Yeah, I, I understand that completely. It's something I wonder myself, like, about the finances behind some of these companies, like, how much they how much they need to spend to break even, how lucky they have to get, like, the sort of mix of all of those different factors, I guess. Yeah, and it seems like a lot for, um, like, marketing, you know, you need a lot of money for that. But I, I have a friend who does sound design for a lot of games, and he... um. Like I, thinking about how many different people, like asking them how many different people they're paying for these games. Like it's a lot of people that got to do different things. You know, they got to buy them all the equipment and all this. Like it's a ton to deal with. So I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. I feel like too. Yeah. Like I mean, obviously, yeah. We'll see. Um, I feel like two interesting examples currently would be like Super Giant Games or Team Cherry. Uh, mm. if you've heard of either of them, because, like, I don't know, I think they're some of the more popular indie game makers right now, so, like, I don't know, I just, like, I'm looking at the website for Supergiant, and it's saying that, like, they make, well, like, a statistics website for it, but it's saying that they make, like, one to ten mil million dollars per year, probably based off of, like, their game releases, with, like, three million being the average, and they've got, like, yeah. 22 employees, so, like, I guess that makes sense how that cuts even. But like, it's interesting. Yeah, doesn't seem like a ton of profit, but I mean, I guess it makes sense for indie. They did like Hades, right? Yeah, Super Giant was uh, their latest game that got super big was Hades, so they're making a yeah. sequel. And then they, I think they also made the Transistor, and uh, I don't know, like two other games, but I haven't played them. Okay. I played a little Hades. Same friend who got me into the Soul series uh put me onto that one. 
<laughs> they're sort of adjacent vibes. They're very fun action games. They're sort of punishing until you learn them. Yeah, it seemed it looked like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, interesting. Well, you know, we're getting to around the two-hour mark. Uh, I really appreciate that you came on to like talk through all of these different, you know, like gaming concepts today. Is there uh, anything you want to touch on before I let you go? Um. No, I think I think I'm good. I really appreciate you having me, though. This was awesome. Yeah, of course, and it was great having you. Uh, yeah. Um, anyone watching, you'll find links to Ember's social media down, social media, YouTube, all of that stuff down below. And uh, is there like any? I mean, you already talked about your like you know every boss in the Souls series video coming out soon. Is there anything else you'd like to tease or shout out? Um. Ooh, I don't know. There's a lot coming. Um, but I am giving away a poster I got from the Elden Ring Jazz Show for 100,000 subscribers, which will probably, I'll probably hit in a couple days. So um, it may be too late by the time this comes out. <laughs> <laughs> that is very possible. But I mean, it'll, I hope you, uh, I think that's exciting that that'll happen. You know, it's pretty cool that you got a poster from the Jazz event. Yeah, I got two because um, I went with my girlfriend, but she didn't really, she didn't, she doesn't know what Elden Ring is, so she was like, "Ah, uh, just use it and give it away." And I was like, "All right." Yeah, that works out perfectly. You get one to, you know, remember the event, one to give away. Yeah, it'll be cool. Hopefully, whoever gets it likes it. <laughs> I know I definitely would. So yeah, yeah. I hope so. All right. So uh, yeah, thanks again, and uh, that's about it. This has been Elden Kings, an Elden Ring discussion. Thank you as always for watching this far, and thank you again to Ember for taking the time to chat with me tonight. And thank you to the subreddit r slash Elden Ring discussion, along with moderators Agurik and MogFVB for helping make this podcast a reality. Coming up next is an Elden Ring Iceberg series with AC Aesthetics, and boy is it a doozy because I rambled down some deep rabbit holes in that one. Uh, I'll also have a bonus episode coming out at some point that was previously streamed with Rage Ikari live during a Trans Rights charity stream, which was very fun. And uh, finally, we may even be able to get an episode with Aesir Aesthetics and the Sinclair Lore to talk about the upcoming Armored Core 6 release, so lots of exciting stuff coming up. Down below, you'll find all the usual links to the guests' content, anything mentioned at the intermission, and uh, as well as like links from my personal channel and my social media, like really just my Twitter account. And before I'd go, I'd like to thank Teo and the Cosmic Neighborhood once again for letting me use their music. And with all of that said, I'll see you in the next one. And in the meantime, don't you dare go hollow on me.